Here's a message from today's episode sponsor. My name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the western mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the computer RX software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RX Safe Rapid Pack script packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack pill packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is A Brighter Horizon, Farm Grad Wishlist Podcast. Hey everyone, we are back with the new and refreshed podcast on behalf of the Farm Grad Wishlist of Brighter Horizon. I'm Judah Brown, a critical care pharmacist and advisory team member for PGWL, and I'll be your host for today. As we've shared on previous podcasts, FarmGrad Wishlist began as a passion project to diversify the profession and provide means to showcase movers and shakers in the healthcare and pharmacy world. We aim to support minoritized pharmacy students to amplify their voices and champion efforts to create a successful transition into a promising new career. Together, a group of practicing pharmacists and clinicians organized a Twitter mutual aid movement to support our emerging minoritized pharmacy grads and started as a platform to showcase and support Black, Indigenous, and persons of color pharmacists has now helped to build a movement to bring together practitioners from all over and create a brighter future and more equitable playing field. Modeled after a similar effort within the medical profession, MedGrad Wishlist, we first promoted Amazon Wishlist to showcase and support the actual needs of our graduates. We got items into hands so that they can focus on passing exams and starting their careers with one less worry. PGWL is one of the many movements to date to help flip that script. So to date, we have had supported hundreds of pharmacy grads, disseminated wishlists, and raised thousands of dollars in support of the movement. In today's episode, we showcase two rising stars within the pharmacy profession and describe their viewpoints on the importance of DEI work within the pharmacy practice. Dr. Yodit Teklu is currently a PGY2 ambulatory care resident with the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System. Her work and practice is rooted in advancing and serving the medically underrepresented and underserved. Joining Dr. Teklu is Dr. Maya Bell, who is a PGY2 infectious diseases pharmacy resident at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. Dr. Bell has started her career with focuses on underserved health and the importance of health equity. Both doctors are extremely passionate about their the actionable and equitable ways to diversify pharmacy and healthcare and have become young leaders in the field. So I thank you both for joining me today. So now that I've given you both a brief prelude, would you mind introducing yourselves and what has drawn you to these DEI efforts and the PharmGrad wishlist? 
Absolutely. So first and foremost, thank you for having both Maya and myself uh, join the podcast. I think speaking for myself and then my initial interest in PGWL, it's so crazy to think about how this idea really just sparked on the internet, on Twitter, and, and became the movement that it is and is continuing to, to grow. And I think the support that it's given to pharmacy students, to trainees, the inspiration, all of that is so amazing. And I definitely hope to be involved and continue to be involved in the future. Um, and in terms of what drew me to DEI efforts, I feel like it's the whole reason myself and my sister even got into pharmacy. Um, we were lucky enough to participate in a summer preparatory program during high school and the, the program itself being created by two African-American male pharmacists um, from the St. Louis area wanting to expose multicultural youth to the field. Um, so I know we both have them to thank for it. And it's definitely been an important part of not only pharmacy school, but as I've started this career. So it's definitely a passion of mine. Yes, um, I, I agree in those aspects too. So overall, I think what really interests me in DEI efforts, like I didn't have that direct exposure. I kind of just came into pharmacy kind of by chance and kind of went through pharmacy school kind of on my own. And I kind of better saw the um, health disparities and the lack of rec representation, both in pharmacy school and in residency and other in postgraduate training altogether. And then when I heard about Farm Grad Wishlist and what they do for pharmacy students and everything, I thought that was very cool. And it was like, very, it was one of the most awesome things that I've ever seen. And I haven't really seen an effort to kind of promote diversity before. And that kind of drew me to them. And, and I really like to give back to um, the people that come after me. And I think that this is a good opportunity to try to give back to those that come after me and become an inspiration for them as well. Yeah, that's so great to hear. And, you know, just to echo those sentiments, you know, it's really all about exposure. And I'm glad to see that you both, while having different paths, I'm um, really emphasize the importance of being exposed to um, these efforts and being exposed to sort of this movement. Um, and that exposure is really what's going to drive us forward and sort of create that diversity that we're really looking for. So, in your opinion, though, um, why do you believe that we should focus on these efforts, especially within the profession of pharmacy? Yeah, I think the DEI efforts within the profession, it's really important just because our exposure to diversity and learning about the barriers that our patients face directly and then at our other colleagues that may face. Um, it's really important for how we deliver our care and how effective our care is overall. Um, we do know that our minoritized individuals tend to have worse health outcomes, and then um, that kind of translates into like their entire situation overall. So I think awareness is a very important first step um, for correcting those disparities. Um, but with pharmacists being one of the most um, accessible healthcare professionals, it's really important that um, we specifically focus on DEI efforts within our profession, whether that is um, being more culturally competent or um, increasing representation within the profession as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And to Maya's point, I think... Um, acknowledging and understanding that that disparity exists. You know, as a profession, we don't currently reflect the population in which we serve, which I think can have pretty detrimental effects when we think about things that could get lost in communication, in terms of follow-up, even building relationships with our patients um, is enhanced when we have a diverse healthcare, you know, team. So that for all of those reasons, I, I do think it's something that understandably needs much more attention, but also more action. I think it's good to be aware, but also to act on, on what we know to be true.
Uh, exactly. And, you know, it really goes back to sort of the first point that you both raised about why you both, you know, got involved in this effort and, you know, not to repeat, but like that exposure. Right. And so the same thing goes for our patients. If our patients aren't exposed to practitioners and providers that they can relate to, that they can understand personally and professionally, then, of course, those, those disparities are going to continue to exist. Um, so it's so glad to hear that we have people that are going to act upon those things to provide that exposure and really change the way that um, we're addressing DEI efforts. So we know that it's important, um, especially within the medicine and professions, especially within the profession of pharmacy. How would you describe how those efforts play into pharmacy education and postgraduate training? Um, you know, there are plenty of practitioners out there, many of them, you know, within PGWL that are working to, you know, provide that exposure and, you know, provide those experiences. Um, but I think that partly some of that comes from pharmacy education. Education. How do we raise the next generation of pharmacists to be active members of that movement? Yeah, that's a great question. And I know certainly something that we talked about as we were brainstorming because it's easy to find the statistics about what the pharmacy profession looks like, but in order to really address that, we have to take many steps back and look at pharmacy education and also what postgraduate training looks like. And while our article was really focused on a lot of residency type things, um, it was interesting to find just how much less was involved in fellowship, right? So a lot of this, we're, we're collectively talking about both, but understanding that a lot of our efforts right now are really residency focused. Um, but with that being said, and kind of going back to the question, I think in recent years, there have definitely been efforts made, speaking from my anecdotal experience and, and talking with others where we understand it's important, we want to do something, but how that is implemented can vary a lot. Um, and I think as we were doing research for this for this article, it was interesting to come across our counterpart, our physicians and our nurses and our social workers, where it's much more integrated into, into their curriculum, right? So if they are, um, you know, getting to meet and getting to have DEI type uh, initiatives within their schooling, then of course, by the time they get to practice, that is not as, you know, uh, potentially unusual or, or different for them, because that's something that they learned in school. Um, and I think Maya and I could speak to different things that we've seen in school. However, it's not standardized. It's usually kind of something that's put into like maybe like an elective or not necessarily part of the core curriculum when as pharmacists, we should always be thinking about those things. It, it affects patient care. So that's important. And then even within postgraduate training, right, we could do things like be involved in committees and otherwise, but it looks so different. And I think um, that's the challenge that probably a lot of places are, are facing. Like, what do you do and how can you implement that? Like I said, I do think that we're making we're, we're going in the right direction, but kind of having more information, more standardization to me would really help. And also just looking at our counterparts that already have evidence in things like medical residencies, where they do things like holistic reviews and have more data to support their initiatives. I feel like that's what's lacking right now with pharmacy. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on it. Um, overall, I think they are, the DI efforts and pharmacy training are improving. Like we are seeing more awareness that we need to work on these things overall. Like we did have classes about uh, being culturally confident, about being inclusive and what we need to do um, to try to do to correct these. 
Um, however, I think this is definitely variable from institution to institution, just from my own and anecdotal experiences from being in different health systems in different states. And it varies uh, tremendously just um, in that short period of time and just the little experience that I've had so far. I think um, they brought attention to like serving our patient populations, but I think it, there needs to be more effort on kind of the representation and the recruitment process, kind of a, as you had mentioned with the um, holistic review process and ensuring that we are reaching out to those populations and making sure that they are aware of uh, the options that they have moving forward. Um, do they even know about residency? Do they know about fellowship? What, um, what the differences are between between those and what career paths are available and what options they have overall. So um, I think uh, we definitely need to kind of improve on kind of reaching out to those populations and kind of looking at our processes and what we need to change to better recruit um, our minority populations. I think if I were to add anything, I feel like something that Maya and our team had discussed in the preparation of this project is how there's very um, limited or a lack of demographic information yes. when we think about things like pharmacy, postgraduate training, especially in the fellowship realm. So I think that's just like an easy low hanging fruit thing that we could discuss and hopefully gain some, you know, just, just more access to that information because I feel like similarly with medical residency programs, you get stats about, you know, the certain type of demographic and where they end up. And I feel like by having a better, a clearer picture of what that looks like helps us create more targeted interventions that right now we're only kind of going off of based on, you know, anecdotal experience versus actual data. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the whole uh, fellowship world is a little bit of an untapped um, part of pharmacy. Um, and I think that there's a lot of, you know, especially now in the pandemic and as everyone's like working from home and that sort of area of pharmacy practice is definitely expanding. Uh, for me, I'm from Rutgers. I, I grew up sort of with that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think in the sort of on the other parts of the country, that's something that's growing more rapidly now. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely untapped potential. It's definitely yeah. untapped. We, we need to sort of loop them in and reach out to them. Yeah, I feel like I went to school in Boston. I'm very familiar with like the, the East Coast and how lucky we are to have a lot of the farm pharmaceutical companies. But coming to Southern California, like I've had students that I've worked with at different institutions who express interest and I want to be a better like asset and resource for them. But I, I honestly don't know how. And I think a lot of that is just your exposure, but also just being able to like be connected with with individuals that you feel like um could assist you in that manner. So it's tough. It's, I don't know, there's a lot of different factors there. Yeah. And if I could just add to that point too, I think when we think about education and postgraduate training, a lot of the time those DEI efforts for various reasons end up falling on the people who identify as underrepresented minorities, which is a huge challenge and a huge burden that shouldn't be carried by those individuals alone, right? It impacts everyone and it impacts healthcare and all and, and our patients. So to me, I think that's something that we all could co collectively probably improve on and making sure that the educators that we have that would be teaching these things should you know, be diverse as well and not necessarily fall on our underrepresented minority um, identifying folks. Yeah, I 
definitely agree. Um, and I think um, what you both brought up is that as a profession, I think we see this as, you know, something to look towards, something to work on. Um, and I think, you know, we're really starting to get to that point where we talk about DEI, we have these meetings about DEI, um, you know, you might get an email about DEI at your health institution, but what are the actionable things that are occurring after that, right? Um, so moving from more of a performative effort to actionable things that can occur. Um, and, you know, I think in pharmacy education, providing, you know, didactic learning experiences is important. And I think that that speaks to our, the points that we raised earlier about exposure, right? It starts with the, being exposed to something and letting that ruminate. Um, but once we get into postgraduate education and things like that, we should be, as, as Yoda mentioned, we should be, you know, looking more towards what are the actionable things that we can do? How do we actually diversify a pharmacy residency class? How do we reach and recruit those, those residents from all, you know, many diverse backgrounds? If a pharmacy residency program, for example, or a pharmacy fellowship program, for example, has never had an underrepresented minority, why is that? And I think that you're absolutely right in one, assessing the data, but also utilizing that data to say, okay, hey, we know that there's a problem. What are we going to try to fix it? One thing we didn't really touch on is like some of the like the barriers to to um, to training is like some of the costs associated with it. So you have like the schooling costs and you have the residency applications, you have professional memberships, professional meetings and the list kind of goes on and on. Um, and a lot of a lot of minoritized students don't are not fortunate enough to be able to afford all of these things. So I think um, an effort to try to decrease costs when, when possible. I know Yoda uh, mentioned a little bit about virtual platforms and having everything being more accessible, but I think we could still go a little bit beyond that. Um, and I think there is some room to kind of decrease costs in some areas and um, allow more exposure for our minoritized students and um, learners, residents, and and fellows to be able to develop themselves. Yeah, which is really extra important, I feel like, for something like the PGWL movement, where a lot of even doing residency is understanding you're doing that opportunity cost of your time and your knowledge with the understanding that financially you might be set back a little bit and some people just truly can't afford to do that. So having something like the movement, not only helping sponsor that initial like finishing pharmacy school and moving, but also scholarships and otherwise, I feel like helps alleviate a little bit of that financial burden that, you know, people might want to pursue residency and want to further their training, but financially can't make that work. That, those are great examples of actionable change. And, you know, that's exactly what we need to do. Um, but definitely cost is probably one of the most prohibitive factors that prevents um, underrepresented minorities from getting into the profession. We already know that um, just the cost of pharmacy school alone um, is prohibitive, right? Getting through and graduating and then coming out and saying, hey, I'm going to make, you know, 50000 a year. Um, and you expect me to do this for two years just so that I can possibly get a job is, is scary for some people and definitely mm -hmm. not definitely not able. People are definitely not able to do that for um, those systemic um, reasons and those systemic barriers that we've placed. So I think that addressing those things, um, one, recognizing them, but two, addressing them and figuring out ways to knock them down 
are, are definitely important. Um, and I will say that, especially for those listeners that are, you know, maybe students and maybe um, wondering about those things, you know, that's, those are things to ask um, when you're going through school. Those are things to ask your mentors. Those are things to ask on residency interviews. Um, for me personally, I've had, you know, I've seen a definitely an increase in number of applicants that have come to me and wondered about, okay, what kinds of resources or how are you going to support me through this process? Not just mentoring, but financially, how am I going to get through this? What are the other additional resources that your institution or your program can provide me to make sure that I'm successful when I'm coming out? Um, and while I think in the past, those have been tough questions to ask, I think they're necessary, right? We need to force that hand and say, hey, like, I need this to be successful. And this is a true barrier for me. So I think that definitely those are great actionable change items. Some things that I've found, you know, in my experience is also, there's a little bit of fear, right? A little bit of fear of failure, a little bit of fear of, you know, making a mistake and then being, you know, wronged for that. And I think that that's sort of the culture that we need to change. Um, that's the culture that we need to work to address that, you know, we, we have to try something, right? We can't just continue to talk about it, but we have to try, try something else. And the last point that I'll raise that I also want to emphasize is, yes, the importance of sponsorship, the importance of moving and having someone pull um, these underrepresented minorities into these positions, right? Um, having a seat at the table. Um, that table needs to be diverse. It needs to you know, represent what our patients represent. And the only way to do that is to you know, relinquish some of that power and pull an individual into that seat so that they can have their voice amplified and heard. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear that from you both. So kind of moving forward, do you have any inspiration or advocates um, that have done that for you or that you've seen uh, or what other calls to actions that have helped you spearhead these efforts in your own practices? Yeah, I would say, I mean, just to Maya's point, what she said earlier about PGWL, it is absolutely amazing, right? That these, all of you amazing pharmacists from basically all corners of, of the United States, maybe even more, um, are, you know, voluntarily putting in the time and the effort because that's exactly what doing things like podcasts and the Twitter, um, and it doesn't go unnoticed. I feel like it's, it's really inspirational to the next generation, right? Um, things that, you know, everybody suffered through, but just because other people, just because you or we might've suffered through it doesn't mean that the next generation does either. Um, so it was really, again, like we owe Dr. Jam and Dr. Saunders and just the whole team for being able to pull us into a position where, you know, it's hard to maybe as residents and as trainees to voice what we might be thinking a lot of the time, you know, areas or even having the time really to to really dedicate ourselves at this current point in our career but all that to say I think we you know are now well networked with people that we know share very similar visions and it's helpful because all of you are working at different institutions as well right so it's a good way to kind of lean on each other to figure out what's working and what's not working and really like PGWL movement has just continued to flourish so I think that's that's been a huge inspiration for myself. Yes, I would have to agree. Just um, just seeing both uh, PGWL and even some of the efforts in other organizations with ASHP and just seeing all um, meeting a bunch of people at mid-year and just seeing what all representation throughout all of the United States. Um, I, it's really inspired me to get more, more involved. And once I kind of knew more about this, like I really... Um, it inspired me to kind of push push this more towards um, push this more in my organization and whatever organizations I end up uh, in in the future. But I think the inspiration is there, and we're starting to move the ball forward. 
Um, but what we need to do kind of moving forward is we really need buy-in from other pharmacy organizations and larger um, and larger bodies. Um, we we can try we can do as much as we can on our own, but it's really a group effort um, in order to promote DEI and have real change in our spaces. And we really need to make it a priority rather than just um, in addition to our normal um, our daily workflow. I think uh, with just to help improve with notable improvement in representation and then notable improvement in outcomes as well um, for our patient population. So I think it, it really needs to be. Um, a full team effort. Yeah. And I feel like in our article, we tried to make it a point in the calls of action that I feel like hopefully is helpful to people that are reading it, um, focusing on the different elements of who's involved in this, right? Because I think at a systemic level, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed, but we're all just individuals working within different institutions. So trying to take those calls of actions at like at a higher level, what should we be doing kind of at your institution level? What things can you consider discussing with your team? And then just individually, as we've kind of been talking about just a lot of it, you know, taking it upon yourself to become more educated if that's something you feel like you're lacking in or just wanting to continue to grow in. Um, so I think there's different levels. And I think by hopefully addressing them all and, and having more actual items like we've discussed uh, will truly be what, what kind of makes makes that change. Yeah, you both raised excellent points in the, in the sense that um, a lot of the times this effort feels so much larger than you as an individual person. And it's easy to say like my individual efforts aren't going to go unnoticed. Right. And I think, um, that has, you know, been a barrier to many people getting involved and not understanding that what appears to be minutia to them is actually, as Maya mentioned, moving that ball forward. All of these little things that individually we're doing are collectively making a difference. And eventually I agree that we do need uh, the buy-in. We need um, you know, the buy-in from these national organizations, um, from these organizations that have power over the profession in order to reach, a, a, one, reach a greater audience, but two, change the shape of the culture. And as you both mentioned, we can do that individually. We can start with our own organizations. We can start with our own sphere of influence and our own network. Um, but eventually we kind of want to make sure that that expands and, and continues that ball rolling forward and forward um, as we, as we move, um, move on. So, you know, it's gearing towards the end of your PGY2 and the end of your residency training. Um, you're soon going to be, you know, joining the workforce in your independent practices. What are you most excited about um, in pertaining to this effort? I think I'm most excited about being a role model for other pharmacy students and other pharmacy residents. Um, I think, especially me just kind of going through on my own at first, um, I think I would really want to be that role model for someone else and making sure I'm able to pull them in and kind of show them the way, like show them the way and what, um, what we can do and kind of promote the, um, DEI through myself and then also through others as well. So I think um, being able to provide my experiences and kind of lay down the options for them kind of as a mentor and role model is what I'm really looking forward to um, after residency. Yeah, similarly to Maya, I think, you know, when I think about how I got even here before everything else, a lot of it was due to really strong mentorship in the areas that I had interest in and was fortunate enough to be able to have clinical experiences in before residency. So first and foremost, you know, making sure that I am that mentor and doing networking opportunities is, is going to be a priority. Um, and I think just continuing to you know, try to make an impact, whether that's getting more familiar with wherever we end up getting a job, right? And, and I feel like that can be a little bit challenging just being new somewhere, but trying to get a, a grip of, you know, what 
do they already do? What would they like to do? And what's their vision? Um, and a lot of it to kind of going back to organizations. I feel like some of our pharmacy organizations have much more um, minoritized trainee <laughs> membership. And I think using that and becoming a good network with them is always really helpful. Um, and thinking about what can we do, especially, you know, in the pandemic that we've been where we really expanded access to postgraduate opportunities and training by not having to travel and do those things. How can we continue to increase accessibility for um, all of, you know, anybody who might be interested in increasing that exposure? So I think it's just the beginning, but I'm certainly excited to see, you know, where both Maya and I and everyone else that's graduating in our cohort kind of take this next effort. Yeah, definitely. I'm extremely excited um, to have you know, this next generation of, of pharmacists and leaders um, rise up and rise through. Um, and as you both mentioned, I think the past few years have taught us that um, we're much more easily connected than we think, um, and that, that we can definitely utilize those connections to strengthen the cause, strengthen the movement, and really help spread the word and get more people involved and, and invigorated um, to, to join the cause. So I'm very excited about those things. I'm excited that we have some young leaders, you know, in the forefront that are going to, to pave the way. So thank you both for sharing such insightful and passionate stories and insights. Um, we look forward to supporting you and watching you grow throughout the profession. Uh, for more information on the movement, please visit our website at farmgradwishlist.org or other social media such as Twitter at farmgradwishlist or Instagram uh, for more current GoFundMes, blogs, and sponsor wishlists. You can check out our other podcasts and we look forward to showcasing more of the effort and more of the movement. So stay tuned. Yeah.